You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. If you have your Bible, and I'm sure you do, uh, if you want to make your way to Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 26 through 28, and actually we're going to look at a lot of other parts of Hebrews that are right in that area. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere under the seat near you, and that'll be on page 1068. Here you're kind of heading there. Let's start with the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as a high priest men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Let's pray. Lord, as we look to this child who was born, Jesus, as we think about God who is eternal, entering flesh and dwelling among us, proclaiming who He is, Lord, we often overlook that He is our high priest. It's easy, Lord, to think of Him as a king. It's easy um, to see that, but prophet and priest, not so much. And so, Lord, help us to see this so we can see a fully robust picture of this child who is to come, who is Christ, our Savior, so that we understand His perfect life, his death on the cross in our place, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and now his calling us, compelling us, moving us, stirring us. Lord, just help us to really see who he is and see it well. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, by the simplest definition, I mean, just the simplest, easiest way to think about it, a priest is one who offers sacrifices to God, or gods in the case of false priests, but one who offers sacrifices. Okay, in the Bible we see true priests and we see false priests. And then in the Bible the definition sort of starts to fill out and become a little bit more robust. And so biblically, a priest is one who is authorized to draw near to God and then to mediate, we heard Pastor Josiah used the word advocate on behalf of others. That's sort of his job. And, and then when God gave the law to Moses, when they were on Mount Sinai during the Exodus, he, he limited priests of the Old Covenant. He limited them to those who were of the tribe of Levi. And we call that the Levitical priesthood. But then within the Levitical priesthood, he reserved some very specific and special tasks for just a, a small group of the Levites. And he reserved those tasks in that priesthood, like the high priest position and things. And we call that the Aaronic priesthood because they're in the line of Aaron. They're the descendants of Aaron within the tribe of Levi. Okay, so these priests, um, just like the covenant in which they were serving, were limited because of sin. Sin limited their ability, and, and therefore we see that they're inferior 
to the priest of the new covenant, who is Jesus Christ. To Jesus Christ is our one and only forever perfect high priest who offered a perfect sacrifice, which was himself, which was completely sufficient for us. And now this priest, this mediator, this advocate continues to intercede for us so that all the people who would call on the name of God can draw near to our God. So for this reason, there's no necessity for any other priest or any other mediator or any other advocate. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So Jesus is our perfect prophet and our perfect priest and our perfect king. And so today we're going to explore how Jesus is our perfect priest, which I hope will help us understand Jesus better and enhance our joy and enhance our knowledge of him as we take this month, usually to set aside time to celebrate him and and worship him as it's Christmas, right? I, I think it's helpful to see this child in the manger who would grow up to be our savior, to be the perfect prophet, priest, and king, our savior. So now, as a Christmas gift for the note takers in the room, and I know, I know, I usually neglect the note takers in the way in which I preach. Here's a Christmas gift, an early Christmas gift to you. Here's how I'm going to structure my sermon. I might not tell you when I get to the the heading changes, but here's how I'm going to structure it, and you can figure it out. First, we're going to look at how all of the Old Testament shows the shortcoming of the first covenant priesthood and the shortcoming of the first covenant priests, and the need for this better priest. Okay, we're going to see how the Old Testament is pointing to, to that. Shortcomings and the need for a better one. Second, I will show you that Jesus is that perfect priest. I say I will show you, but actually the Word of God, we're just going to leave it reserved. The Word of God will show you that uh, Jesus is the perfect priest. And finally, I'm going to close with how these truths impact us and what they really mean for us today and how we should reflect on that. Okay, did you get all that? I see some note takers frantically writing, Merry Christmas, you're welcome. At this point, I'm going to continue to neglect you as I always do. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's just not the way I preach. I just don't have that kind of structure. Most of us in our community don't really often think about priests, do we? You didn't come here this morning thinking about priests. Even as I'm talking about it, you're probably not thinking really about priests unless maybe you were Roman Catholic or you came out of a Roman Catholic background or maybe you came out of uh, Mormonism and you're thinking of kind of the Mormon priesthoods. Uh, otherwise, you're probably not thinking about priests at all. And if you're not interested in the material things of religion, or if you're not interested in the spiritual things, or you're not interested in theology, you probably don't give any concern to priests or priesthoods ever. It's just not in your wheelhouse. And that's reasonable because you're not thinking much about God. So why would you be thinking about the necessity of a mediator between you and God? I mean, there's no reason for it, right? But by the time I reach the end of my sermon, I hope to have shown you that most of us falsely depend on a mediator other than Jesus to draw us closer to some kind of hope or some kind of God, both of which are probably empty and false, if we use a mediator to get there. I'm going to show us that I I think we do, other than Jesus. 
which leads us to a, a, a false hope and a false God, an idol. Okay, so let's start with, again, I'm going back to the note takers. We're going now to the first section. Let's start with the failure of all the other priests. See, I didn't totally forget you. There are two kinds of priests in the world, just only two, those appointed by God and those not appointed by God. That's it. True priests, false priests. That's it. Those are the only options. But sadly, even all of the true priests, every single one other than Jesus, has fallen short of their God-given priestly duties. Now, some we read about in the Bible more than others, but they've all fallen short except for Jesus. Jeremiah 23, 12 condemns false priests, those ones that are not appointed by God. He said this, Their way will seem like slippery paths in the gloom. They will be driven away and fall down there, for I will bring disaster on them for the year of their punishment. King Jeroboam, uh, a king, was criticized because he installed and used and depended upon false priests and gave false priests to the people. So 2 Chronicles 13, 9, it says, Didn't you banish the priests of the Lord, the descendants of Aaron and Levites, and make your own priests like the people of other lands do? Whoever comes to ordain himself with a young bull and seven rams may become a priest of what are not gods. So they could, they could buy for themselves a priesthood. Right? They could bring some stuff. Now I'm a priest. I brought this stuff. I'm going to be this priestly mediator to whatever I want. They're, they're becoming priests to false gods. It's like buying an ordination on the internet. right? Like, oh, now I'm some kind of religious cleric. In this fashion... God's people were making for themselves false priests, false mediators, false advocates, just like the people in all the surrounding lands, just like the world around them was doing, but these priests were not appointed by the true God, and therefore they were not true priests. They were priests with no power because they were appointed by nothing but lies and falseness. And Jeremiah basically was condemning that he was saying, that, I'm going to bring disaster on these false priests. We're not going to have it. And then, and this is one of those you know, favorite uh, Bible stories of, uh, at least my kids, I think, liked it. I'm sure yours maybe did. Maybe you remember the place that shows the absolute silliness of false priests. No place in the Bible shows it better than 1 Kings 18, 20 through 40. Okay, so this is when Elijah, who was a prophet, okay, we've talked about prophets and priests, he was a prophet of God. Okay, and, and, and there's 450 prophets who served like priests of a false god named Baal. And they determined to have a showdown, a priestly showdown in which they would do priestly things that would involve a priestly sacrifice. So in this way, Elijah was sort of working in this to show the falseness of these other priests. Each side was supposed to prepare a priestly sacrifice, a sacrificial bull, Supposed to set the wood up, set the bull on this thing, and, and do everything they're supposed to do, except not light the fire that would burn the dead animal. Right? They're not going to light the sacrificial fire. And then the priests were supposed to like call upon their God to do that work. So the priests of Baal, they're doing all their various things, which for them included cutting themselves up. It says they were like gush of blood, covering themselves with their own blood, doing all this weird ritualistic stuff. They're crying out for hours 
for hours. And Elijah's over on the side, like mocking them. Like maybe your God is going to the bathroom or he fell asleep or like he's over there mocking and they're just working at it, working at it, working at it, but nothing, nothing. And then Elijah, he sets up the bull on these sacrificial stones and on the wood and he sets it all up. And then before he prays and asks God to light the fire, he pours a bunch of water all over it, including the wood and everything. He's just soaking it down, soaking it down. And if that weren't enough, he digs a trench around it and he just keeps pouring more water on it until everything is soaked. The trench is full and this thing is just a sopping wet mess. Then he prayed to God. And God brought down so much fire, so much heat that it burned up the sacrificial bull, all of the wood. It burned up the stones. All of this was set on. And it even says it burned the dust that was under the stones. And on top of that, all the water, gone. All of it. This showed off the power of God. But also, when we forget this, it shows the power of God, which is fantastic, but it shows the silliness and the insignificance of false priests. These are just false priests. You're putting all this trust in them and hope in them, and you know what? They got nothing. And then the false 450 false priests of Baal were condemned to death, which is graphic. Like, why? Why? Why would it matter if they were false? Okay, so they're doing their thing. They have no whatever. Why would God's people and God be concerned about false priests? Here's why, because they're leading God's people away from God rather than drawing people to God. And because they're propagating lies, right? They're the seed of the serpent, the father of lies, the devil. They're propagating lies rather than truth. And priests are to draw people to God and proclaim truth, help people to know the Lord. They were doing the opposite and was punishable by death. Okay, so this is a story about false priests. False priests are one thing. Okay, there's two kinds of priests, false priests and true priests. False priests are kind of laughable. The hard part, though, is when we read about the failure of God's priests who were supposed to be doing their work and then failing. That's heart-wrenching. The Old Testament tells us that, that this whole story of this Old Testament is a long string of failed priests almost all the way back to Adam, running all the way forward to A.D. 70 when God destroyed the temple and there would be no more sacrifices or priests. It's clear that Adam was charged to have dominion over the earth. That's sort of a kingly thing. Uh, Some would argue that he was also priestly. I struggle with that a little bit, at least before the fall for sure. Because before the fall, Adam was in unity with God. God had drawn him close to him. He didn't need some mediator. He wasn't an advocate or a mediator to draw people close to God. And, and also, there was not a need for any kind of a sacrifice. Everything was good. But then, after the fall, there was a sacrifice. But it was God who did the sacrifice. God who was serving as the, the advocate or the mediator or the priest, if you will, for Adam in that first sacrifice. So there's a debate. I recognize that. I kind of go with, no, Adam was not a priest. However, and that's the key to this, however, right after chapter 3, 
right after the discussion of the fall and the first sacrifice, we immediately start seeing sacrifices. We immediately start seeing in Genesis 4, sacrifices made with a correct heart, sacrifices made with an incorrect heart. We see it both. And it causes such grief that there's a murder involved and it's difficult. And now sacrifices have become a part of our relationship with God, a necessary piece because of the fall. I think that's why we see it immediately there and we keep seeing it. We keep seeing it. Cain's attitude about God showed disapproval of a sacrifice. The whole thing just showed failure on the part of this hopeful, good sacrifice. There's a priestly failure. And then it's repeated often. We see throughout the whole Old Testament priestly failures. We also see that these sacrifices really didn't do it. They were not sufficient. They could never get it done. And that's sad too. They're never final. They're never in totality. Noah, early on in our Bible, early in Genesis, he made an altar, sacrificed to the Lord. Abraham nearly sacrificed his son before God provided a ram and made such a clear picture of sacrifice. And that wasn't the end. Abraham kept sacrificing. Jacob made plenty of sacrifices. The entire reason that Moses demanded of Pharaoh, let my people go, God says, so that we can go out and make sacrifices to our God. The Hebrews made sacrifices continually. It just never got the job done. Then God gives the laws that are out in the desert, and he clearly lays out now exactly, specifically, how people were to sacrifice according to God's desired will, according to God's specifications. This is what it needs to look like. And he gave them, he gave them requirements and instructions for the priests so that they would be able to draw close to God. But he gave them something even more than that. He gave these priests a, a very important job to help draw all the people of the world to God. Exodus 19, 5 through 6, this is where part of that is. God told them, now, and hear this, now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, it's a conditional statement, if you'll do this, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. So this was like a commission for them. This was their God-given task. You could say of the Jewish people, this was their great commission. This was this is what they were to do. But by the time we get to Psalm 50, which isn't that much, not long. By the time we get to the Psalms, God is judging the failure of their hearts and their attitudes in their priestly service and in their sacrifices. He's not having it. <clears throat> their hearts and attitudes and their faithfulness and their obedience were totally wrong. Psalm 50, verses 16 through 17 say, this is God's What right do you recite my statutes and take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction and fling my words behind you. God's saying, how dare you? You don't take this seriously at all. How do you even profess to be my kingdom people, my priests? Their hearts were so far from God that Isaiah 113, he says this, God says, stop bringing me useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Malachi, chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, was a warning to the Jewish priests. It was a condemnation of the priests who were supposed to be drawing people to God. This is what God says there. 
For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you are not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in your instruction. And then in Amos, God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like the unfailing stream. House of Israel, was it sacrifices and grain offerings that you presented to me during the 40 years in the wilderness? But you have taken up Succoth, your king, and Kawan, your star god, images you have made for yourself. So I will send you into exile beyond the Damascus. This is bad. I don't know how you can hear that and not say, whoa, this is bad. So not only is it impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, as Hebrews 10.4 says, but God's priests were rejecting God and turning to false gods. They were failing. And, and what was at serious risk was a way to draw near to God was a mediator, was an advocate. Their salvation was even on the line. This is bad. So no wonder they needed a holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens high priest who doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day for his own sins or for other priests as they do. That's the text we read, Hebrews 7, 26-28. No wonder they needed this. Everything... There, every failure, every condemnation, every shortcoming, every sacrifice that did not completely fulfill what they were looking for and longing for was pointing them to this particular high priest. Every time. It was like a billboard, a gospel message. You need this one. Because these guys ain't cutting it. These sacrifices aren't going to do it. They needed Jesus. The perfect priest, the perfect high priest, who is a high priest forever. They needed him. And so do we. So at this point, note takers, here's a hint, I want to draw our attention to Jesus. I'm switching to that next thing. See, I'm not neglecting you. Jesus is our eternal, perfect high priest. He gave himself as the perfect, complete sacrifice so there'd be no need for any additional sacrifices ever and if there was a need then he wasn't perfect and the sacrifice wasn't perfect but that's not the case there's no need and now jesus continues to intercede for us as a mediator as our advocate as our priest as he sits at the right hand of god so that anyone who god draws can come to the father and be saved it's christ who makes that possible so here's what i want to do at this point I kind of alluded to this uh, at the beginning. Uh, 
thinking through Jesus as our advocate, I think it would be maybe helpful for me, or at least interesting, to read God's Word. We're going to read a bunch of it, and I don't want to provide any explanation. I just want to trust, I want to depend on the Holy Spirit working as your advocate to show you Jesus, who is our high priest, from his word, the word of God. And then once we've done that, and I'm going to trust that that God is speaking to you, you want to hear a word from the Lord this morning? I hope this is that moment. After we've done that, I have a very serious question to ask all of us. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. If you're in the book of Hebrews, we're going to start. I think they're all going to be on the screen for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who were defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness, our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transmissions or transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now flip over to Hebrews 10. I'm going to read 18 verses now. 10, 1 through 18. Same book, Hebrews. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers, by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers, purified once for all, would no longer have any uh, consciousness of sin. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, he was coming into the world. He said, You do not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then he said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. 
I have come down to do your will, O God. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in the sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he is perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit, who testifies to us about this, for after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them in their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is the forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. One more. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we think on, reflect on, process what we have heard from God, I pray and ask that the Holy Spirit is working in you as well. I want to give us this question. Based on what we just heard from the Word of God, why would we ever seek or desire a priest other than Jesus Christ? Why would we ever seek a priest other than Jesus? If you're like me, the answer to your question is, I don't, not me. But we're fooling ourselves with that answer. We're kidding ourselves. We're not being intellectually honest. We're not being spiritually honest. We are all tempted to seek a priest other than Jesus, and we do often. It's in our sin nature to look for a different mediator. And now you're thinking about it, aren't you? And you're like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing what you're talking about in the long line of these priests. I, I, I don't see. That's because you're looking for somebody with a big religious hat. Or, you know, some special garments or a clerical collar. You're thinking of it like that. But look closer. They're there. All these mediators, all these priests are just lining up to draw you to the false gods they serve. They're there. What are some of us tempted to look to for hope, for salvation? What are some of us look to to draw us closer to God or to a to a spiritual experience of some kind, maybe even being false. What do we look for? Money, politics, political agenda, social popularity, the outdoors. I can have a spiritual experience and find God in the outdoors. I just go to the mountains. Paganism. The environment, environmental things, vacations, your experiences that you can post and tell all your friends about. Food, sex, work. Oh, how many of us make work our means to find our hope and, and feel like we're drawing close to God? 
Our sports teams, I'm struggling with that this morning at the news of playoff games. This will make you happy. This will satisfy. Drugs? Alcohol? Fitness? What is it? What is it? Security in your retirement investments? What is it that makes you feel like you have hope that you think could draw you closer to God? What do you turn to? What are you tempted to turn to before you turn to our Lord? The high priests. Some of you are like, ah, we've heard this before. Brian preaches this stuff all the time. Fair enough. Fair enough, because most of us, we haven't even started to identify the biggest tempter, have we? The biggest priest, the biggest mediator in our life to a false god. We haven't even touched on it. Who is the mediator you are most tempted to turn to other than Jesus? Get real with yourself in this moment. Think about it. It's ourselves, isn't it? We act and think that we can be our own priests to draw us to some God. And when we do that, the God we're drawing us to is ourselves. There must be some priestly task I can do. I'll be good. I'll withhold my cuss words. That's that's what I'll do. I'll read my Bible more. There must be some behavior. Maybe karma. Maybe if I go to church more. Some people only come in here, and maybe this is you. Maybe this is a wake-up call that God will use to change. You only come to church when you feel like you need to do a priestly act to draw closer to God, but otherwise you're not here. I'll go to church more. Oh, I'll pray more. Oh, God. I'll do this if you'll do that. Are we not acting like our own priests? Mediating? Trying to draw ourselves in in unbiblical, ungodly ways because we're not using and depending on Jesus, our high priest, to do it? Only he can bring us to the Father. You can't, I can't. We can't bring ourselves to the Father. You only get to the Father through our high priest, Jesus Christ. So why do we keep trying? Why do we keep trying to usurp our high priest Jesus and go it on our own? You won't get to God that way. You'll only get to yourself. You'll get to any other false God, but you won't get to who you really need. The Bible makes that clear. We are tempted to be false priests to our own false God. How do I know? How do I know I'm right? How can I make such a bold statement and point my finger at you and point my finger at me and make such a declaration on humanity? Because 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Testimony at the proper time. That's how I know. That means you cannot mediate for yourself or anyone else. Only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus, our high priest forever. How? How is Jesus our mediator? How is this? Because he entered into humanity, lived a perfect life on our behalf. Because he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, as the perfect sacrifice the only one that could truly appease and pay for the sins. Not over and over and over, once for all. 
and he was crushed under the weight of God's judgment, and he was dead, and he was laid in a tomb. But on the third day, as he promised, God raised him from the dead to prove that he is who he says he is. And then he ascended to heaven where he is still sitting for you and for me as our priest advocating to the Father on our behalf. So if you want to draw near to God, you've got to confess that Jesus is your priest and that you have none other. You need to surrender yourself to him. You need to draw near to his words because he is the only one capable of bringing salvation and bringing you to God. That's why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why. Why Christmas? This. Why do we celebrate this? Our high priest. I mean, hope this is just yet another reason for you to celebrate and worship Jesus more at Christmas time. Because, wow, what a gift. What a blessing from God for us. Wow. So for those of us who, who have turned to Jesus as our high priest, but still wrestle with these temptations we all do, it's really time to be done with the other false priests who only lead you to false gods. It's time to be done with those things. They're rubbish. No different than the ones on the mountain, the 450 to false gods. It's silliness. It's time for us to be done with it. It's really time to stop turning to them, be tempted toward them, and instead turn to Jesus. It is time to go all in with our high priest because he is the only one who can do it for us. Jesus Christ is our one and only forever perfect high priest who offered the perfect and completely sufficient sacrifice of himself, the one who continues to intercede for us so that people can draw near to God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Father, thank you for sending such a high priest. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for continuing to make it clear to us. God, as we seek, I hope, to jettison ourselves as the priests of our own lives and our works and our priestly things. God, as we seek to stop looking to the other false priests that are lining up to continually tempt us, Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Put him in front of us at all times before we can be tempted, that we would be quick to turn to the Lord, quick to praise the Lord, quick to cherish and adore Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this gift we certainly do not deserve. Thank you, Lord, for the mediator, the advocate, the high priest, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name, amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.